Welcome to Real Testaments. The messages shared at Church of God Mission International, Church for Real. We trust God that through this message, your life will be transformed and you will receive grace to influence your world. God bless you. I want to continue with the series, My Father, My God, The Anointing. It's important for us to understand that God is our Father, and that is the relationship that we have right now. And it is important that we key into that flow. What God came to do is to establish a relationship with man, is to form a family. And you and I are part of that family right now. And so beyond him being God, he has created an avenue where you can relate with him. And therefore, there is no reason why you should be stranded. Because you have a father who loves you and who is ready to take care of you all the way. Like I said last week, irrespective of what you have done, it has nothing to do with God. In this deal that we are with God, God is the one who has taken upon himself to be 100% responsible. You know, so when I see people run away from God because of something that they have done, is an understanding that they really do not fully know who God is. So this morning, I will be going deeper into God, then I will cascade into the anointing. I really want to talk about the anointing because that is one of the phenomenon in Christendom today that has been seriously bastardized, you know, be seriously bastardized, and I really want to set the record straight. A few years ago, God gave me a massive revelation about certain things as far as his scriptures and um, his word is concerned, and um, they were heavy, but deep down within me, I knew that there were things that were going to comfort part time, part time, and I'm beginning to sense it in my spirit every time that I study that some of those things I begin to, uh, I should begin to share them. And I strongly believe in this end time that I have a mandate to correct some of the information that are out there in Christendom. It's very strong in my spirit. And so when I use words, I use them deliberately. And when I say what I say, I am not attacking you as an individual. I am attacking the institution. Please, let's get that straight. My messages, by the grace of God, are not targeted at people. They are targeted at institutions because institutions have really messed up a lot of things, religious institutions. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he didn't come to build religion. He came to establish a relationship between God and man. And so Christians are living below par today because of religion. And so you have a lot of lingo and lingua and, you know, a lot of words in Christendom that are not supposed to be. 
For example, when you use this word, return to sender. So I begin to analyze in my lab, using the word of God, does the word of God really permit some of those things? And I've studied the life of Jesus and I realized that I personally have also been living in error. And I began to ask myself, where did we mix it? Where on earth did we miss it? You know, sometimes in my style of communication, I might be maybe highly emotional and, um, you know, expressive in the way that I communicate. But to be honest, it is the way it's doing me in the inside. But like I said, it is not about individuals or even church as it were, in, as in church for real, is about the institution called church globally. As we begin to roll, this is a ride. I believe that you will understand me and understand the perspective where I'm coming from. A lot of Christians are living below par, like I said, because of the information that have been passed to them. People don't serve God the way they are supposed to serve God. People are not hungry for the things of God as it were. They are hungrier for their own things because of the message that they have received. People prefer to run after money and run after the things of this world which one day they are going to live on this earth than to run after the things of the spirits. Christians will rather drive a big car than to lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. A Christian will rather want his account to be filled with dollars and naira than to deliver somebody who is sick or epileptic. The other day, I was in a car and there was somebody who was epileptic. The person was struggling. The person fell inside the gutter and people were running away. I was in an unofficial assignment and, you know, I really wish I could calm down, but I was in a fix. So Christians would rather run to where the business or the money is than to run to where the problem is. Because I've been issued because of the message that they've received. When we came here for the evangelism yesterday, I read from the book of Luke chapter 10, when Jesus Christ commissioned them to go and preach the gospel, heal the sick, he told them explicitly what they were going to do. And they were all happy when they came back. But Jesus told them, he said, the demons and all of those things that we are subjected to you, they are all minor things. But rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. Because what you just did is what God is pleased about. It's there in the scriptures, Luke chapter 10. We have prayed for Nigeria. I'm very, very particular about Nigeria. I have received calls from different people, family members, even friends who are in the U.S. and different places 
telling me to leave Nigeria and to come abroad. I don't just do things for doing sake. I'm a ministry-oriented person. What am I going to do in America to go and hustle for dollars? Yes, I'm going to have a good life. But it is important that we hear from God. In our generation today, when you tell a Christian, for example, have you heard from God? It's abstract. They wonder, what are you talking about? Does God still speak? Christians don't hear from God. But instead, they are more motivated by their flesh. They react based on the way their flesh reacts. Those are some of the things that I'm talking about. We must be ministry conscious. We must get into politics and correct things. Not to steal money. Not to cheat. If you and somebody get into a business venture and there is a mistake somewhere, you should own up. You should own up to say, hey, there's a mistake here. Let's correct it. We are so intertwined with the style of the world and we are so okay with it. That's my problem. Christians steal with impunity. And so there's this relax. It's normal. It's not normal. You find you know, a, a man and a lady who, who are not married, living together, having sex. And because that's the style of the world, and so we, 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 because we come to church and it's as if something has poured inside of us, and we, listen, Jesus never founded the church on emotions. He founded the church on spiritual things. And so there's this lackadaisical, complacent, laid-back attitude that we have. And that's what I'm saying. It's not, it's not, it's not our fault. It's the messages that we have heard. We are told to go after the things of this world, to run after the goodies of this world, when we are supposed to sit down with the Father and receive instructions on things that we are supposed to do. People are really not interested in outreach, preaching the gospel, winning souls, and casting out devils. And Christians are not interested in that. You've got a big business deal. That's all. Listen, there was a man. Do you know? There was a certain king, Fad. He was the king of Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia was controlling 25% of the world's crude. 25%. The remaining 75% was shared amongst different countries. Nigeria is a member of OPEC, we all know that. And he lived his life, he saved his time, and he died and he was buried with all of those money. He left. I see people, a friend was just gisting me during the week, how some of the people in government building houses, big, big houses in Abuja, they will build one in Abuja, maybe more than one, they will build in their village, build everywhere. Even if you have one million houses, 
you can only sleep in one room. This ostentatious lifestyle, that is the, what, that's what Christians also want to copy. You can only sleep in one room. Even if you have a big house, it's 70 rooms, all decorated. You can only sleep in one room. And a time will come if Jesus tarries, you are going to die and leave that house. Jesus said, don't be like the pagans. Don't run after the things of this world, church. Let's understand the scriptures. Let's understand the mind of the Father. Let's understand the mind of the Father. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Give me good news or the message. Good. Let us then hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we have a great high priest who has gone into the very presence of God Jesus. You know, I was sharing on Sunday, Jesus needed to be in heaven first to interact with God first before any other person showed up. So Jesus Christ opened up the way for us to enter eternal life. So if you die now today, you are going into the very presence of God. The Bible says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. When Jesus was talking, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. The place is not about building mansions and all of those things. Like I said, if God made the earth in six days, come on, the spiritual should be faster. So it's not as if God is still building your own mansion. He's building it. Okay, he will not rest. He will not go and build a society mansion. He will not rest. Ah, let's not think like that. Jesus was talking about a place that we are going to, he's going to prepare for us. In other words, he's going to open up the place, access for us to enter into God's presence. And I tell you the, the truth, the best place to be is God's presence. Do you get the point? The best place to be is the presence of God. And for you to be in the presence of God, there has to be a relationship called father and son. Child and father. Let's go to 15. It says, our high priest is not one who cannot feel, sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus Christ can connect with what you are, you are connect, what we are feeling, okay? On the contrary, we have a high priest who was tempted in every place or in every way that we are but did not sin. But even if you sinned, that is why he has already given us a leeway. Look at what he said in verse 16. Let us have confidence then and approach God's throne. Before, we didn't have this type of privilege. We couldn't approach the throne of God because we were aliens, because we were Gentiles. God did not know us, okay? There, will, there we will receive eternal, where there is grace. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it. So what do you need, really? What do you need? Do you need grace? Do you need mercy? You are supposed to approach the throne of grace. That is the greatest privilege you can have as a human being. That's the greatest privilege you can have. It's very key. So when you are down, you are in a state of despondency. You feel like committing suicide. You feel like committing maybe a divorce. You feel like killing yourself. You feel like just 
you know, you just want to blow everything up, let everything scatter in your, in your, in your, in your front, on your face. God will say, come, let's sort it out. That's what I'm telling you. That is what you have. You have an advantage to come into the presence of God. There are so many times I, I, I feel like losing it. It's tough for me. But I know that I have a father who can help me. Therefore, I go into the presence of God. In other words, I go to pray. I go to seek his face. I go to talk to him. And I am always, always a winner when I come out. It's the truth. There is nothing that can mess up a child of God. Nothing. But there are a lot of things that can mess up someone who is not part of the connection. You have an advantage. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have an advantage. Nothing can mess you up. I ask people, what's the worst that can happen as far as this situation is concerned? I am not a loser. I will always win. I will always win. The same way you will always win. So when the world is saying there is a casting down, you are saying, I am going up. There is nothing that can happen on this earth that will mess you up. Because you have a father and you can have access to him. Like I said, we were not having such access before. Because you see, when God showed up, God literally was interfacing and relating with the children of Israel. Give me Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Let me read something there. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, when God created the universe, now the word God there in the Hebrew context, now there is a book that the Hebrews use which is called Tanakh. And Tanakh con contains the first five books of the Bible which is very, very primary for them. The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know, these are considered sacred books in the Tanakh. There's another book that they use called the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, the Talmud. These are sacred books by the Jews. And we know that the major religion for the Jews is Judaism. And it is important that as a Jewish man, before you grow up and become an adult, you would have gone through the Pentateuch, which is the Torah, T-O-R-O-A-H, Torah, which is the first five books, like I've said, mentioned, the Pentateuch. Now, if you go through the Pentateuch and you read the Tanakh and the Torah, the word God is majorly used in a word called E-L, L. E-L. Now, that word God is actually translated Elohim. And Elohim means the living God or eternal creator. God is revered in Israel. God is revered. Elohim. And you have words like Elion, the most high God. Then there is a certain word which when you break it down, you will get other children. 
and that is Jehovah. And the word Jehovah is from the word Yahweh. Now, that word is not actually Yahweh, Y-A-W-H-A-H. -H. The true pronunciation for that word is Y-H-W-H. -H. They couldn't pronounce it, and so they left it as Yahweh. Yahweh means Lord Jehovah. And so you'll find words like Jehovah Jireh, meaning the God that provides. You'll find words like, like Jehovah Mekeduskum, meaning the God who is my righteousness. You'll find words like Jehovah Rapha, meaning, or Rufeka, meaning the God who is my healer. You'll find words like Jehovah Shammah, meaning God who is ever-present, okay? You find words like Jehovah Makedesh, meaning God who is my sanctifier. There's this one I like, words like Jehovah El, E-L. Like I said, in the Jewish Bible, the word E-L represents God. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. It means God who is everlasting. Or it can also mean God Almighty, the Almighty God. Recall, recall, God appeared to Abraham and he said, walk before me and be that perfect. I am the Almighty God. I am El. I am God. So you see, God appeared in the Old Testament, where I'm coming from now, to these guys as El, God Almighty. So when, the, when God appears, things happen. There is an encounter, there is a relationship, there is, there is something that connects. So irrespective of how big and how mighty God is, that same bigness and mightiness of God, that same L of God, humbled himself and struck a deal and a relationship with you, and that same God has become your father. Give me Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans 8, 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, please. For the spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves. So you are not a slave. See, I don't like to gloss through the, the scriptures just like that. What are the characteristics of a slave? A slave is a hard worker. For a slave to get, a slave must work. A slave does not get things freely because you are a slave. Do you get what I'm saying? Slaves work. Even for their freedom, they work for it. So the Bible is saying you are no longer a slave. The spirit that God has given to you is not the spirit of being a slave. You are not a slave. Therefore, it is important. That's why I'm attacking. It is important that 
You don't think like a slave. You see, when people pray, they are begging. Like I was trying to explain yes, last Sunday, they beg. Slaves are the ones that beg. Some people quote this scripture, but in their character, their lifestyle is tantamount to being a slave. And you see, it is your understanding of things that guarantees the way you live. It is your philosophy that controls your lifestyle. What forms your philosophy? Your philosophy is formed by information that you receive. The other day, I was counseling with somebody, and the person was telling me, eh, why are they pursuing me now? What have I done? They don't want me to enjoy my life. They don't want me to enjoy this. They don't want me to enjoy this. And I said, okay. I said, listen, nobody has the propensity and the capacity to run after you. Light and darkness does not meet. Have you ever seen where candle wax is pursuing light and, and fire? Have you ever seen it? So, but you see, I didn't blame the person because that is what the person has been told at initial. That the devil is more powerful than you. He's looking for you to kill you. The Bible says in the book of John, it said, the light shines in the darkness. And what happened? The darkness could not overcome. Light and darkness don't meet. Oh, thank God for the Archbishop. Fantastic message I was listening the other day. He said, there is a place where they said, this place is all full of darkness. It's full of darkness. Nobody there comes to that place. Full of darkness. And somebody came and told son and said, son, have you been to this place? This place, nobody can survive there. What's the name of the place? They told son, the name of the place is darkness. And son said, okay, I would like to go there and see what exactly they are talking about. And so son left its habitation and was looking for darkness. He got to the so-called place and said, ah, but where is the darkness? I can't find the darkness. And they said, ah, this is where the darkness used to be. We cannot find the darkness anymore. When sun showed up, darkness disappeared. The same way when light shows up, darkness dies. That is the philosophy that a lot of Christians carry. They can't travel to the village because they will die. For whatever reason, I don't know. Going to the village to do stuff, I, I really don't know. When anything is wrong with them, village people have come. They have come. I don't get it. Who have come? If you are light and you are living in your house, once darkness shows up, is the darkness supposed to manifest? That darkness is supposed to die. It's as simple as that. So, the Bible says... For the spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Scripture says he has not given us the spirit of fear, but it's of power of love and what? And sound mind. So whatever the, the phobia is, it is tantamount to rubbish. It is not of God. 
Instead, the Spirit makes you God's children, and by the Spirit power, we cry out to God, Father. The word Father there in the Hebrew, I mean in the, in the translation, original translation is Abba. If you drill down into the word Abba, Abba is used when you have a relationship with the person. So it's called Abba Father. So we can call God my Father, my Father. Listen, if Jesus Christ on the cross shouted, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? It's the same way we can cry and shout and say, God, God, my Father, my Father, I am here. Jesus Christ gave us the direct access to, to him. So we can say, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. He's the almighty God. He's El Shaddai. We have access to him because he's now our father. So when I say my father, my God, that is the connection. Praise God. Now let's talk about the anointing. The, anoint, the word anointing, listen to me very carefully, church. It's not a religious word. It's not a religious word. It has a meaning. Let me tell you the meaning. The word anointing means to smear or to pour oil, water, or a liquid substance on someone, someone's head or someone's body. And so it is used, like I said, if you read the, 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 um, the Pentitude, and if you now go down and you are reading First Kings and you read the activities of Kings and First and Second Chronicles and all of that, you will find out that it was used in so many other places. For example, like I said, anointing means to smear or rub something with any other substance. Let me show you Psalm 23, verse 15, verse 5, sorry. Psalm 23, verse 5. Read for me, open for me, Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honored guest and fill my cup to the brim. Give me KGV, King James Version. King James Version of this. Psalm 23, verse 5. All right. That prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That anoints my head with oil. Did you see that? My cup runs over. The word anoint is God uses the oil to pour on your head, signifying something. Okay? Signifying something. So, Anointing is a physical activity in the Old Testament. Just the same way I was teaching the other day and I explained something to you that, listen, I'm going somewhere. I'm sure you're going to be blessed with what I'm going to share with you. This revelation, you will not see it on Google. Search it, you will see it. Just search my Father, my God, the anointing. I'm sure it's Reverend Richard Kakulu that will come out from there. I'm, just, I'm just, uh, just talking. In the Old Testament, listen to this. Anointing was a physical activity. You pour oil, you pour water, you anoint someone. 
Hmm? So anointing is used for anointing kings. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, and you look at verse 12 and 13, God told Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go to the house of Jesse. I want you to anoint for me a king. So one of the ways to, to, to anoint a king was to take oil and you pour it on the person. That's anointing. You are pouring the oil on the person. Okay? Anointing can also mean consecration into office. For example, priests were consecrated into office using the anointing. Give me Exodus 30.30. 30. Exodus 30.30. 30. Verse 30 says, Exodus 30 says, you shall anoint Aaron and his son. No, go, okay. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and ordain them as priests into my world, into my service. So you see God using the word anointing there. It means you're going to anoint Aaron and all his, his children, his sons, so that they can serve me. So it was a physical thing. Okay. Now, anointing in the New Testament, you know, there's a prominent way and place it is used. Let's go to James chapter 5, verse 14. James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. James 5, 14 and 15. Okay, good. Are any among you sick, they should send for the church elders who will pray for them and rub olive oil on them in the name of what? Of the Lord. Let's go to 15. Let me show you something there. This prayer made in faith we will heal the sick. That does not mean anytime you want to minister to the sick, you, you know, you anoint. My style of ministration is as the spirit leads. As the spirit leads. And the Lord will restore them to health, and the sins they committed will be what? Will be forgiven. That's the scripture. Now, like I said, you see, in the Old Testament, anointing basically indicates you know, you ordaining someone into office, you consecrating somebody into office, it has nothing to do with the spiritual res reservoir. But you see, in the New Testament, something happened. Jesus Christ came with a different agenda to mankind and to us. Jesus is regarded as the king of kings, but he was anointed from heaven. Jesus is regarded as the high priest like we saw in Hebrews 4. He was ordained from heaven. He didn't go to anyone for physical ordination into the office of a king or into the office of priesthood. Listen to this. When the promise of Jesus was going to come, what happened? Mary was, had a connection with the Holy Ghost, and what came out after that was Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ opened up the way for the church. Therefore, our validation, our attestation is not based on what happens in the physical. What I'm saying is that Nobody needs to anoint you with the oil now for you to validate what is the inside of you. 
Give me 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. I'm almost coasting home. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Good news, yes. But as for you, Christ has poured out his spirit on you. As long as his spirit remains in you, you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, give me a message. Do you have a message there on the console? Give me a message. First John 2, fantastic. But they are no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Did you see that? Deeply within you, Christ's anointing. No less, you don't need anyone of their so-called teaching. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself. Listen, we have an anointing in the inside of us that we carry. Somebody should give me Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke 4, 18. And the Spirit of God is upon me because he has chosen me. So, who chose Jesus? Oh, church, follow me. Who chose Jesus? He said, the Spirit of God is upon me because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Now, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost. Jesus carried the presence of the Holy Ghost. Is the same way the Bible talked about when Jesus was living. Jesus breathed into them and they received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because we are an offshoot of Jesus, we carry an anointing already that is deposited in the inside of us. So, we don't need any other physical endowment. For example, what are the... What are the meanings of anointing? Anointing means, anointing, when, when it comes upon you, it means empowerment. It means ability. It means um, endowment. It also means identity. The anointing that you have is what is given to you by the Holy Ghost. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I need to deal with this stuff. I think my time is up. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will be filled with power. You will be filled with capacity, with endowment. And that endowment will cascade into everything that you need to do for me. So the witnesses, listen to this. That's another thing people have passed to die. It's not nice. Witnesses does not mean preaching alone. It means in your business, you will be a what? You will be, you have the capacity to produce results. In your place of work, you will be the best there because you have what? The anointing. If you go to school and you read, you will pass in flying colors. Do you understand? So witnesses does not mean preaching, preaching everywhere. Witnesses means you are a true disciple of me. Why are you a true disciple of me? Because you what? Carry the anointing. Because you carry the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show you something. John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. John chapter 7, 38 and 39. 
Oh, this is good. Whoever believes in me should drink, as the scripture says. Streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side. Look at 39. Jesus said, these are about the spirits which those who believe in him were going to receive. At that time, the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not what? Been raised to glory. So I'm here to let you know that stop looking for the anointing. If I say something, I may rock the boat. There's no amount of anointing service you will go to or church will organize that will give you what you already have in the inside. So the emphasis should not be what is outside. The emphasis should be what is here. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You carry the anointing. And that anointing didn't come by physical impartation. It came by the impartation of the Holy Spirit himself. It's here. Out of your belly shall flow. Out of your belly shall flow. So you are a carrier of the anointing. Listen to me, church. Stop reducing your, your life to a bottle. You put, you, some people value bottle that they call oil more than what they carry inside. If some people not carry oil, drink them in the morning, they are not, they are not okay. There is a natural anointing that you carry and it came by the impartation of God himself. You see, the world wants to see. They want to see. They want you to prove to them. Prove to me. God understands the mentality and the philosophy of man. So, when God was having interaction with Moses, ah, they don't believe me. Moses said, no, God said, no problem. What do you have in your hand, rod? Put it on the ground. Put it, ah, snake. He said, hold it, the, the, hold it in your, on the tail. He held it and he turned to rod. He said, when you get there, this is the sign I will give to them. He went there and that was exactly what Pharaoh wanted to see. It's the same philosophy that the that devil is using on the world. He came to Jesus. He said, the very first temptation was the temptation of identity. He came to him, he said, if truly you are the son of God, turn stone into bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. It's the same way they tell you, if truly you are anointed, come, let me put oil on your forehead. You don't need to put oil on your forehead. You don't need to drink oil before you are validated to be anointed. The anointing is here. I am a natural carrier of the anointing. Like I said, I am not attacking I'm not attacking individuals. I'm attacking institutions. People believe they need to pray on a sweet and make the sweet a god. Every morning they put it somewhere. Every morning they lick it. One shot, power. And they go out. What's the difference between you and a native doctor? Even handkerchief. God is bigger than this shit. This handkerchief. God is bigger than it. Are you aware of that? How can you reduce yourself to a hanky? If you not put the hanky for pocket, that day is messed up. Can you imagine that? 
Now listen to me, let me correct this. If God gives you a revelation for you to do a ministration by using a medium, it does not mean you therefore should make it a doctrine. That's my summation. Let's not reduce God to a mere, mere physical, inanimate things. Who anointed Jesus? God. Who anointed you? So why are you looking for the one that is physical before you will believe? If I tell you now, let's call, I call an anointing. I say, next week, anointing service. Come with bottles and everything. Come with this. Every, this whole place will be filled up. That is natural with man. I am giving you pure word. Pure word. You are a carrier of the anointing everywhere you go. So when you go on the street, you see somebody manifesting epilepsy. Lay hand on the person and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up. What did Peter and what did they do when they got to the beautiful gate? Were they going about to drink oil first? Or they were looking for handkerchief first? He says, such as I have, I give unto you. What do you have? Do you have Jesus? I'm asking a question. Do you have Jesus? They give, they give the word Jesus. You know, time will fail me to share a lot of testimonies. What is not working in your life? Lay hands on it. Lay hands on it. I, I mean what I'm talking about. Lay hands on it. What is not working? You have power in your hands. It's inside. The Bible talked about the Holy Ghost. It was talking about the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost has not been given because... Jesus has not been glorified. Has Jesus been glorified? Yes. If he has been glorified and he said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. And they tarried and the Holy Ghost came and the place was shaken in the place where they were. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. As they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to do great things. Listen, even Peter that could not talk before, he denied Jesus Christ three times when the anointing came upon him. He preached and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Hallelujah. This message was brought to you by Church of God Mission International, Church for Real. For more information, log on to our website at www.churchforreal.org. Church for Real. Influence your world.